Hello, this is Dr. Nancy O'Reilly, and you're listening to Conversations with Smart, Amazing Women. Each and every week, we bring you a, a woman who's going to help you with insights to help you access your passion, your purpose, and become the leading woman in your own life. You know, I've been interviewing these amazing leading women for more than 10 years, and it's one of my favorite things to do. I love hearing their expertise, so I chose 19 of the best experts to co-author my book, Leading Women. 20 influential women share their secrets to leadership, business, and life. Now, if you haven't bought yours yet, or you want to help a woman become the leader she was meant to be, check out your local bookstores, or order at Barnes & Noble or at Amazon. Today's amazing guest is Rabbi Lori Kosky. Rabbi Lori is a committed warrior. I love this. Rabbi Lori is a committed warrior for resources to improve and to elevate the lives of local families and children. Her recent tenure as the president and CEO of United Way of San Diego County tapped into her experience as a longtime activist and organizational leader. For more than 15 years, Rabbi Lori served as the executive director of the Interfaith Center for Worker Justice, addressing the struggles of working families through activism and advocacy in the public and also the private arena. She is a board member of the Interfaith Workers Justice Coalition, an alliance of immigrant and border advocacy organizations. In 2014, she spoke at the TEDx San Diego about her transformational work. She has many, many honors. She's been honored with awards such as the San Diego Business Journal as the 2015 Woman Who Means Business. She was recognized by the Center for American Progress as one of the 13 most progressive faith leaders to watch in 2013. She was among the trailblazers of women in the clergy and and ordained as a rabbi at Hebrew Union College, Jewish Institute of Religion. She earned her doctorate in leadership studies at the University of San Diego. She wrote her doctoral dissertation on large-scale system change and collaboration. She often speaks at public events like the Women's March in San Diego in January or the Me Too March the following week. So I'm very, very pleased to welcome civic leader, organizer, social justice, all about social justice, Rabbi Lori Kosky to Conversations with Smart, Amazing Women. Thank you so much for being with me. Well, good morning. I'm going to, this is Rabbi Lori, but I'm going to call you Lori because it's, a, it's about building the sisterhood because I, I, I think of uh, when I talk to other women, and I know you and I are kindred souls. We have, we have people that we know mutually, and so I, I know that you, we're kindred souls at some level and we'll become even more kindred souls as we get to know each other. But good morning. Thank you for being with me, Rabbi Lori, and I'm going to call you Lori. So good morning. Good morning, Nancy. I'll call you Nancy. Do people call you also Dr. Nancy? Yes. So let's just let's just get personal. Let's get down and get personal. So just I'm there with you. Okay, absolutely. You know, I usually start out, in fact, I always start out when I have these conversations, and I call them conversations for a reason, because really I think it's so important that when women, especially women, when we start to talk and really share who we are with one another and just have a conversation 
there is always a, a connection. There's always something that links us together, connects us. And I think that's the most important thing. I think that's one of the true talents that women do have is that we are connectors and that we bring people together and we develop those relationships that can be very lasting and so very, very beneficial to change the world for good. So I'd like for you to give us the personal story of you and how you became you and what, why you're doing what you're doing even today. Well, I am so thrilled to be here with you. I've been listening to your podcast and have learned so much from the women who you have interviewed, the amazing women you've interviewed, but also the way you talk to people. You really solicit relationship, which is, I agree, among the most, important gifts that women can give each other and can give the world to be in relationships together. That's been the, the mark of my life and the mark of my work. And I can start telling you a little story about um, where I came from. I was born in Los Angeles. I'm the oldest of three sisters. My father had no son, so we all became super successful um, professional women with all of dad's ambition poured into the three daughters. The The event that marks our lives as young children is we lost our house in the flood um, very quickly within an hour in the middle of urban Los Angeles if you can believe it there was a dam that broke and our house among many others was hit and right away we lost everything we saved only our lives and from a very young child I learned about what was important and that was the love that people have between them. I remember that night, I was only five years old, and I remember being at my grandmother's and grandfather's house and having boxes and boxes and boxes of things brought right to them so that we would have something to sleep in that night and wear the next day. And my mother was only 27 years old with three young children, and she and my father had to create recreate our lives from absolutely nothing. And so when I hear about the floods, the terrible floods in Montecito and the fires, I remember as a child and then now talking through with my mother what that experience was for our family, that this becomes the seminal story, a family seminal story for a very, very long time and really teaches us to be the people that we are. I was lucky because the relationships we had really did support our family through what could have been, you know, demoralizing and depressing and terribly tragic. But the people around us held us up until our family could get back on our feet and bless my mother because she is a strong, heroic woman. She kept us together and moved us all forward. It was amazing. Well, you know, you know, I, I live in Montecito, so <laughs> this is, you know, and I've done a lot of disaster relief work, but your story is one of, the, one of the stories that I've heard so many, many times and I'm hearing so much about even today. Uh, but that it's, it's interesting to watch humans, and I think this, was, this has always been probably the reason I've, been, I've always loved doing this kind of work or had done this type of work is that people are oftentimes their best during the worst of times. And I think this is a human condition that... Really, I think if, you, if you've ever been privy to it or if you've ever been around it, it just really makes you understand us, we human beings, at such a different level that, that most people understand us and how we actually do, uh, you know, do live and, and where we come from. So that's a, that was a gift. Like you said, it can be a curse for some, but it can be a gift for others. And, and I've seen that happen over and over again. 
You're, you're so right. And as a rabbi, of course, I've had the honor of being with people during the most joyful times of their life, but also during the journeys that are the most challenging. And I do see other people um, at their best. I remember a story of a woman who was really dying of, of cancer, and I was sitting beside her bed visiting her as her rabbi, and her husband walked in to their bedroom coming home from work, and he got into bed with her and put his arms around her and said to her, you've never looked more beautiful than you look today. Oh, my gosh. And that is a moment I will never forget in my whole life, how this man whose heart must have been breaking yeah. was able to be so loving and joyful and I remember her smile. In that moment, she felt the most beautiful she'd ever felt. It yeah. was really touching. So people going through tragedies, they are, you know, they are deeply tragic. Their endings are not always happy endings, and certainly what we've watched our state go through has been just horrendous. Yeah. But yeah. the love that other people can show can help carry those burdens in some small or even big ways. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so that's our childhood. Go ahead. Now I'm reflecting on my own personal, my own personal issues right now. But again, I think that's for me. It's my home is still here. I have damage, but it can be fixed. But the people that have lost their homes, it's really hard for me to be happy uh, about my situation when there are so many that are are facing such such tragedies of their own. So I think, <clears throat> excuse me. I think this is, is affecting me. <laughs> Thank you. Can you talk to me about this now? <laughs> but, but no, I, what you're saying is so true because, you know, that I, I was with some family who have homes in Montecito this weekend, and yeah. my cousin was reluctant to show me a photo of their garden, which looks beautiful. Their house was spared. It was almost like they felt guilty that their house was spared sure. because so many of their neighbors yeah. were so terribly damaged. And, you know, there's a lot of survivor guilt that we run around with also. Sure. I guess the the most important thing, those of us that still have many, many resources can share with those that do not. So, well, well, tell me about this because I know, you know, what I really, when I was reading your bio and I was reading about you and listening to your TED Talk uh, in San Diego, and by the way, having a day named after you in San Diego is pretty special, by the way. <laughs> It's but, kind of funny, huh? No, no. Well, you know, somebody. Uh, I'm I'm going to Washington D.C. in a, in, a, in a few months, and it's uh, somebody wrote a song about me. You know, you're thinking, oh man, this is going to be something else. But you know, no, it's an honor, and 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 the, and the fact that you're, I mean, you were recognized because you're an activist, you're an advocate, and you're all about social justice. I don't know about you, but I'm a Libra, <laughs> and we Libra. <laughs> We Libras are all about uh, fairness. We're all about justice. And, you know, I've literally spent my life seeing what's fair and not fair. And, and, and I mean, that's how I, oftentimes I measure things as far as how pe people are treated fairly or unfairly. And, and I come from a, a family uh, of, well, my, my father was a Gideon and my grandfather was a minister. So I also have okay. a strong background in, in caring for others. But it's always been about, you know, uh, being the advocate for those that can't advocate, advocate for themselves. That's right. That's right, and that's how my life's work evolved. I, when I was 10, I told my mother and father that I wanted to be a rabbi, and, you know, they didn't tell me that women couldn't be rabbis. That yeah. was amazing that they didn't because yeah. they had no role models. There were no women clergy anywhere that they would have known about. Right. And so they didn't tell me that, and then I, 
I grew up with the commitment to be a rabbi. When I, I, I must have written that on my Stanford application. People say, how'd you get into Stanford? I probably wrote I wanted to be a rabbi. They were, that would be like wanting to be an astronaut in those uh. days, although an astronaut might have even been more fun. You know, there just weren't women who were rabbis or had ambitions to be rabbis, and nobody had told me I couldn't do it. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we were a family who said yes. And we yeah. were a family that was, we were a post-Holocaust Jewish family, which is a really specific type of family. I am, my mother and father did not tell me about the Holocaust. It was too painful to be mentioned in the home. I learned about it in school, oddly yeah. enough, and I'm a yeah. Jewish family. But there was this sense of, we, so we had so much historic tragedy that we had to make our lives be really meaningful. Yeah. And that it motivated us that way. You know, our, our third cousins twice removed, they perished, but we didn't. We're yeah. here and we really had to do something to make our lives of, of purpose and of meaning for the whole community, not just the Jewish community. And I know a lot of families had different reactions to what, what occurred um, in the Holocaust. And our family was to become a social justice, was yeah. to turn outward and become a social justice family. And so... That's what I did by becoming a rabbi, and I was very committed to serving, so doing, doing service, helping the hungry and, and creating feeding programs that were important within the communities here in San Diego. I worked with the Catholics, the Catholic worker in St. Vincent de Paul, because they know how to be of service into the community, and our, the Jewish congregation I served um, joined with them to create a uh, a big program where the Jews served brunch on Sunday mornings, but we served brunch and did clothes and medical and all sorts of really important things to, at first it was four or 500 and then it was, you know, thousands of people who were coming on Sunday mornings because they were families in need living in their car or homeless. And of course, and today it's, the problem is even more challenging in all of our communities. But I went to, um, I got my doctorate while I was having my children, and I began to be much more concerned about systemic change rather than, than just take, taking care of the issues that are now more in terms of charity, of, being, of, of wrapping our arms around the community as it is today. I really began to focus on how could we change the system so that people were not so poor so they didn't need coats and medical attention and computers because they would be able to procure them for themselves from their own earnings. And so I really focused on on lifting up the issues, as you say, of advocating for the working poor. Yeah. Well, you, you and I probably have more in common than you possibly know because um, my background is in systems. I'm a systems theorist. I mean, that's the way I've approached even, even in therapy. It was all systemic change. Of course, my, my other big word is collaboration. You know, Mine too. <laughs> so so, so I, think, I think you and I could probably have a, a very, very good conversation about just about anything. You know, uh, again, looking at, and plus you're a trailblazer, and, and I really like that. I, I didn't, at first I remember when somebody said, well, you're a founder, you're a trailblazer, you know, at, at, at some That makes you feel old. <laughs> yeah, I did. I was like, <laughs> historically... There's a movie that was recently made. It's called 5050s. Really, in our history, we've done many, many things in our history, but many of those things have been erased. Many of those things have not been, you know, it's not in the history books. And it's amazing how we as people look at books and look at history and say this is the way history is. But, but I think what's happening, especially with women, especially women in religion, women, women in politics, women in business, is that we're going back to our roots and, and realizing and finding that there's so many 
accomplishments that women have already made, that we're building upon those, and we're coming from a place of abundance versus scarcity. And then this is this is what this is about now for me, because you know I think for a long time as a woman I carried a big stick around. I mean, when I was much younger, I had a big stick and I was ready to pop someone if they gave me a hard time. But, <laughs> but I realized, you know, that's not that's not the way to create change, and that's not the way to get people to listen to you. So again, coming from a place of abundance, and that's what you're talking about through this whole conversation, is that you're already talking about coming from a place of abundance, having resources, and building building upon those, where I think in, in our world, oftentimes, people come from a place of scarcity, which is meaning, I don't have enough, I'll never have enough, or what I have, I have to cling to, I have to hang on to, and, and that makes people afraid, If you're com- and you come from a place also of creating philanthropic endeavors and change for people to bring as part of their life as, as far as giving. But people who come from a place of scarcity don't, don't want to give anything up. And, and it's amazing to me the number of people that truly have great resources, many, many financial resources that do not give to others. And, you know, this is where the social justice comes in, but this is where this advocacy sometimes can be a little frustrating when you do see people who could probably do so much for others, but yet they come from a place of clinging and hanging on to things. And like you said, you lost everything, but then you gained everything because of everyone bringing things into your life and, and the richness and the, and the relationships that you already had that, that you came from a, pl- a place of abundance. What you're saying is so true. I've seen that there's so many things I want to talk about in the two minutes that you just spoke, you know, volumes of wisdom. Just thinking about that big stick, I too realized early on in, in, in religious terms that one can either be a prophet or you can win. Yeah. And you know what they do to prophets? They kill them. Yeah. So it's not so great to be the prophet with that stick, even though you're right. What the most important thing is to see how you can get to a place where people win, that place to abundance. And that can be really hard work and takes a lot of real negotiations. And I think for women, you, know, you were talking about, you know, historically, I read maybe many, many years ago, two decades ago at least, a book called Written Out of History. And it's a book about the women of the Bible who were just not mentioned, barely named, not fleshed out, given any sort of... Um, any kind of form at all. They were just two-dimensional people, some of them not even with names. And reading that book really caused me to understand how much the world has been shaped by by male perspectives, male writing, male thinking. And that's a good perspective, but it's missing half the world. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're over over 55% of the population, and we buy over 85% of products and service in the United States, and we're, and we're still not, we're still not uh, you know, controlling the market, which we could do very easily if we all understood that, pro- that whole process, you know? And it, that's, exactly tr- that's exactly true. And the ones who I really found that with were women who are, you know, low-wage service workers, so women who we would expect not to have any power because they don't. Either they don't speak English very well or they don't speak English at all or they're here documented or undocumented, which their employers know because it's one of the ways that you can keep people controlled, right, is you keep them living in fear. And so when these women decided to 
organize and to stand up for themselves, and especially people, women who are, for example, cleaning skyscrapers in any downtown in the middle of the night. Imagine what that's like. It's not just the work of cleaning toilets or cleaning or vacuuming floors and floors, right? It's also the work of their supervisor is likely male. The the, um, instances of abuse by by those males of those women who are completely vulnerable and alone in the middle of the night yeah. you know is enormous the the way that women are promoted by their male supervisors was often you know who 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 does what with whom or who was considered prettier or that kind of thing and these women have children at home to have their schedule changed you know with or 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 not being able to take a bus home or anything that that affected their day-to-day life because of the capriciousness of a supervisor is just, you know, untenable for them. And so when these women organized and decided that they would use their voices all around the country to say that even though we're janitors and even though we're poor, we're human beings and we need to be treated, it was really important for faith leaders who have the obligation of using their voices for justice and speaking truth to power come come beside them and amplify their voices. And I think that's really what we've learned over the last many years is we don't in advocacy speak for people, we speak beside people. And we really amplify their voices because often the people who need to be hearing them aren't listening. Absolutely. You know, I've, I've found that, uh, you know, you can put five women in a room and, uh, you know, it's not competition. It's basically get in there and do the job. You can have a budget, you can have the whole program. and in a very short period of time. And, and the women who don't take no for an answer get things done. And, and I've seen it happen over and over again. Some people meet and meet and meet, but you put five women in, the, in a room that really know what they're doing, and you can get a lot done in a very, very short time. And uh, this has kind of been a joke of mine, but I said women are the yellow book. I mean, if you want something, ask another woman. We're, That's we're, absolutely right. Yeah. How do you get that? What do you do that? Because I think the thing that also that is that women don't give themselves enough credit. They don't, you know, toot their horns and they don't give themselves enough credit for all those amazing talents. These women that you're talking about, I mean, at some level they didn't know how amazing this, what they were doing and how profound and how courageous, how courageous this was that they were doing. It's hugely courageous and across the country because of them, there are movements for people to say, you know, we, we may be poor, I mean, we may always be poor, but we don't have to be so terribly poor. And yeah. we deserve to have dignity in the job and to be able yeah. to be free from harassment in the yeah. job. And, yeah. you know, we're not the stars that are talking about Me Too, but, of course, at the Grammy Awards, they brought a lot of the women organizers who were working with these women who were at one time both invisible and voiceless, and now they're saying we need to come together to tell our stories so that we can at least live with dignity, at yeah. least live with dignity. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a part of an organization, well, I'm a partner and also a board member called Take the Lead, which is an organization to create equal gender parity for leadership of, uh, throughout our country by the year 2025. We'd like to oh, that's fantastic. A lot sooner than that, one of our newest initiatives is called 50 Women in Media and Entertainment Changing the World for Good. We're, uh, these are, there are 50 women that have been nominated by other women in media and entertainment to be a part of this initiative. So our goal is to what girls see, what women see, what boys see, what men see will empower everyone. 
you know, empower girls, empower women. Because, again, we are, we are pushed and pulled by the visual, the digital. Like you said, we've got Twitter, we've got, we've got Instagram, but we are, we, are, we are geared now to visually digital and, and all the smartphones, everything, to pick up the signals of what makes us either disempowered or empowered. And so, I mean, this is going to be fantastic because you're going to start seeing things that you're going to go, wow, yeah, yeah, that's that's who I feel. That's who I am. That's who I can be. And I think I can see the faces right now of the women who empowered me. I can see the faces of the women who di- who disempowered me, who tried to disempower me. But right. It, it, it's amazing that if one person stands by your side, one person gives you a, a pat on the back or says you can do it, like you said, you came from a family. There were no no's. No was not a word that you all used. It was. Why not? Why not? And I love, I, I say that all the time now. Why not? You know, and, and the possibilities are always endless. So how do you encourage, especially women, to to find their voices, to move forward in their lives, and, and to really take their talents and their abilities and all those God-given gifts and to use them to change the world for good? How do you do that? You know, I think a lot has to do with the foundations that, women come from because I I remember I'm a woman of a certain age we never played team sports as women the team sports the little league and stuff was for the boys and I remember as a young woman having to learn that I didn't have to be in wait to be invited to be part of the team that that what it meant to be part of a team, that I had to be confident that I had contributions to make to a team. And I saw that my male cousins, they knew that already. They'd played Little League. They'd been on team sports. When I raised my sons, they knew that too because they knew that you just give your best to your team. And so I think that the foundations that, that young girls are getting today is a far more empowering, less role-specific um, foundation so that they do grow up seeing that they have an essential, an essential voice. I think still in the workplace, there are so few women who are CEOs really at the top of their, at the, at the top of the food chain, whatever it is that is their place in the world. I think we still have a, a ways to go in that. And I think that it's important for us to grasp for whatever is the top of where we can get to. You know, they say that when women apply for a job, women can do eight out of ten things well, and they feel nervous about the two they don't do well. You know, oh, well, I don't know that I can accomplish that. And when when men look at the same ten, they see two they do well and eight they're not sure about, they go, yeah, this is my job, right? Yeah, yeah, And absolutely. we, we, We have to learn how to embrace that, how to take that how to take those risks. And I think that social media is super empowering for us of women at any age because we have a stage for our voice no matter where it is. Yeah, I'm so excited about this new, new, new initiative. It's just starting the, the end of, well, it's just starting. I went to the, <clears throat> I went to the launch in L.A. Uh, last Thursday, and these women are pumped. I mean, I was so excited. I mean, but they, they're going to create things that we're going to see, hear, and read about that will do just that. And I think a lot of it has to do with confidence. 
a lot of it has, like you said, the two things that women can't do. They say, well, wait a minute, I'll go, I'll go back to school and I'll get a doctorate about that. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't take that job until I at least get a couple doctors. You know what I mean? That's the kind of the, the, the thinking oftentimes women say, yeah, right. When, when we all know that it's all about job on-the-job training, everything I've ever done in my life has been on-the-job training. No matter how many doctorates we have, it's yeah, true. No, ma- no matter how smart, you know, again, doesn't, it doesn't hurt to have a doctor to get in the front door. Funny, after uh, I have a group of uh, women that we worked on our doctorates together, and, and we, <laughs> this is funny, but after we got our doctorates, we would go to uh, restaurants and we would page each other. Dr. O'Reilly, come to, you know, we would just do silly things because we wanted to hear, we wanted to hear that. We wanted to hear those things, but, but we knew what we were doing and we knew we were being silly about it, but we were having so much fun recognizing. And you were probably the first women in your family, almost uh, all of you. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, my, I have. I come from a very educated family, but yes, I'm the first to have a doctor. No, no, my grandfather. He was a, he, he was a JD. But uh, as far as women, yes, I had. Right, I, as I a woman, got the highest level of education in my family. But anyway, it was just funny the way that 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 we do. We've got to go out and, and but we've got to really, really support other women. This is this is the key. Also, is that I have found that when women support one another, anything is possible. I love Madeleine Albright's statement. She says, there's a special place in hell for women who do not support one yes, another. Yes, she does say that. And I, and I truly believe when we support each other at truly an organic level, anything is possible. So that's why I'm so excited about what you're doing what Take the Lead is doing. So how do we learn more about you? I know you said Twitter, but uh, you've got to get a website up. But I know you... I do. I do have to get a website. I'm taking a sabbatical now. I've been working full-time for the last 20-plus years, and I am just taking my first sabbatical. The message that I want to give to other women is really a message, not just to say yes, because I have been invited into very public civic spaces. I'm a board member of our convention center and I'm on the board of our newspapers community advisory board, all of which are things you kind of have to apply for and go through these processes to be part of. And I want to urge women to get involved in their public arena wherever they are, whether it's your school site committee or your PTA, but then go to the bigger, you know, the county PTA or the city's PTA or or whatever it is that makes a woman excited. Find a way to play that out in the civic arena. And, of course, the most important way things for women to do in the civic arena is run for office. Our lives will change as women become legislators, locally, statewide, and nationally. And I have been a big supporter of women who want to take on the sort of, it's really a yoke of of public service through elected office. It's not easy, but it can be a whole lot of fun. And to be really engaged in your public conversation, whatever it is, if it's environmental issues that turn, that you know, make somebody super excited or if it's about climate change or, you know, about e- economic benefit or homelessness, whatever it is that makes a woman feel like she has something to contribute to the bigger society, get out and do that because yeah. our voices are still a, a minority. Women's yeah. voices in the public arena are still a minority. And we can't really change unless we also change policy. And the way to change policy is for us to be out there. 
Yeah, and that's what this is about, is really women finding their voices. And I think once women do find their voices, they then very, very naturally become activists. Because, again, who knows better about what the problems and the issues are than women? We've always known that. The hand that rocks the cradle rocks the world. But, again, women have to have that confidence and that uh, support to go out and use those voices for good. But, uh, well, we know what you're doing. We know what you're going to do after I get off this phone call. You're going to go out and do all those things. So It's true. It's a, it's a it's an out there it's an out there kind of day. I mean, even as little as sort of joining the rotary in your yeah. in your area because yeah. so much has been sort of run by men that when yeah. we begin to not just infiltrate but lead, things will change quickly. I love your initiative that you're doing, Nancy, Thank with you. the fifty women. That is a fantastic life changing opportunity because we will hear them and know them, those of us, and they will empower those of us on the ground to do more and to do better. And I can be found at Rabbi Lori SD on Twitter or Lori Kosky on Facebook and on LinkedIn, and I would be happy to assist any women who are thinking, like, how could I get involved? Where, where would I use my voice? Yeah. I'm always happy to be somebody who is supportive and listening and helping people figure out for themselves where they want to be. Well, and, and we can reach out to you when we do have issues, so that you can go ahead and you can you can send those out into your into your spheres of influence as well. So I think that's what it's about. Also, is that we just pass it on, pass it on, pass it on. You know, and so that's uh, that's that's the important thing. But you're right. You know, we're all connected, and uh, we all have responsibility not only for ourselves, but for those also that that can't necessarily be responsible for themselves or haven't had that chance or haven't had haven't developed that opportunity or they don't have that opportunity. I, There's I a Jewish saying. Do you want to hear a, a really good Jewish saying? Yes. And and you know everybody needs their rabbi, right? Everybody, whether you're Jewish or not, any everybody needs to have their own rabbi and. So there's a very old Jewish saying, it's a pithy saying, it's, it is not your responsibility to finish the work of perfecting the world, but you're not free to desist from doing it either. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. We're working every day to make the world better, all of us, and it will be better. And, and I think what's important also for, for people to understand, rabbi means what? What does it mean? It means teacher. Well, there you go. You said it. And we can all teach each other so much. If we, we can. It's been a pleasure meeting you. I hope to uh, meet you personally. I'm going to be in San Diego for different events, but I would love to connect with you and, and stay in touch. And uh, I would love to uh, tell you now that you're one of the leading women in my community and part of my sisterhood, and that uh, Take the Lead and the, this Women's Initiative uh, will reach out to you and to those that can continue to, to do this good work and that activism and that social justice that we're all working so, so much up to do each and every day of our lives. But thank you for all you do. Congratulations on who you are. It's a, it's a pleasure to have met you and uh, continued success in all things. Thank you, Nancy. You are a true light, just a, a light in this world that needs light at this moment. So well, thank you for being who you yeah, are. Let's just be as bright as we can be and they just have to wear their sunglasses around us, okay? Exactly. Exactly. You have a, you have a wonderful day, Lori. Thank you thank so you, much. Thank you, Nancy. You too. Take care.